Hello everybody! Yes, this is Z, the episode editor for the main show, coming at you. I'm not here to tell you about the audio quality on this one. It's it's pretty pretty good, you know, I, I do what I can with what I've got. But I am here to say that this episode involves discussion of sexuality and uh, that kind of thing. So if that's something you'd rather not hear about... You know, you might want to give this one a pass, or if you listen to this show with people who you might think aren't interested or know aren't interested, you might just want to keep this one to yourself. And I also want to thank Eric Friedman very quickly for graciously joining us on this episode, despite being in the midst of losing her voice, as you may notice throughout the episode. Anyway, that said, thanks for listening, and please do enjoy the show strong enough for men but made for women today we're talking about yuri fans hello everybody and welcome back to Fanthropological. My name is Nick G, and today we're going to be talking about fans of Yuri anime and manga. Here with me to do that today are my two best friends, Nick T. Let's have tea and laugh together 10 years from now, okay? Promise? And Nick Z. I'm just standing on the outside of the all-girls school looking in. Oh, that, no, no, no. No, we'll talk about that. Okay. It's okay. Okay, because that sounds way worse than it he probably intended. <laughs> yeah, no. That's okay, we're going to talk As about I was that. Saying I have a word for it. that. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Good. <laughs> no, but... <laughs> Our special guest also joining us today, the founder of YuriCon, Chief Writer Adekazu. She's been writing and talking about Yuri for 20 years, Erica Friedman. Erica, thank you for coming on the show. Hi, thank you for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. I'm going to be um, rude and snarky, and I curse yes. a lot. Just a challenge. I think you will fit right You've in. said if you are any other way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. All right. Let's dig right into this. So at the top of the episode, we usually give a little bit of background because some of the time, as is the case with this week, we do not tend to know a lot about the topic. So we'll probably be leaning a lot on you this week, Erica. Okay. Um, so we usually give a little bit of introduction to what exactly the subject is. In this case, we're talking about Yuri. And then we move on to address some questions we had from previous weeks, and then we dig into general discussion. Okay. So I have like a very brief definition of Yuri, which I think disagrees with slightly with the one that I heard from your talk on uh, mm. the history of Yuri. Not by much. Yuri, or Girls Love, is a genre of mega anime and other Japanese works uh, involving levity and relationships. It can focus on romantic or sexual aspects of the relationship, or both. The word itself literally means lily, a common Japanese feminine name, uh, and may be derived in parallel to the pre-existing association between the word for rose, bara, and geiman. I think uh, bara, barakuza is rose tribe. Barazoku. It was a gay men's magazine in the 1970s, and... In Barazoku, the editor Ito Bunkaku-sama, um, he had written a section for lesbians who wanted to write in and talk to each other. It was called the Yuri Zoku no Hea, so the Yuri tribe, the Lily tribe's room. And so 
in the 80s and 90s as lesbian themes were being explicated in various genres of anime and manga, there was no one word for it. In the early 2000s or late 1900s, early 2000s, as I and a bunch of other people who were both interested in publishing and writing this genre, we wanted to give it a word of its own. And I wasn't the only one to come up with this um, in Japan. People were doing it at the same time, where there were a number of different ways to talk about it. They were saying, well, it's two women together, or women coupling. But at some point, somebody said, let's reclaim the old word and call it Yuri. So that was sort of, I'm not saying that's how it got its name, but in 2005, I co-ran an event in, in Tokyo called Yurikon 2005 in Tokyo, because we're very clever with naming. And, <laughs> <laughs> and we sat there and I said, okay, we're calling it Yuri. And everyone was like, yes, we are calling it Yuri. So all the <laughs> artists and writers and creators who were there decided Yuri it is. And in fact, this past month, when are we? June? So in May, I was in Japan, and I was talking to Marishima Akiko, who is a Yuri Magaka, and she was there at that time, and the two of us were able to go, yes, I remember that day, so I didn't hallucinate it. We actually made this up. We decided this thing, and I was like, thank you, God, that somebody else was there and remembered. So um, it's, I'm not saying that I'm the only one who decided it was Yuri. We all decided that Yuri was the word we wanted for this genre as opposed to all the other terms floating around that didn't really capture its essence or was cool or exotic enough or whatever reasons. Right, because there's there's a couple different words that have been thrown around, which unfortunately have different meanings on different sides of the ocean, right? Well, Shoujo Ai was the one that American fans came up with a, on Usenet, so we're now talking quite a long time ago. <laughs> I don't know if any of you remember Usenet. But uh, and I'm sure none of the people who are listening to this <laughs> But Usenet was the place we did before podcasts. Mm-hmm. So it was a long time ago. And American fans decided that they wanted a word that would indicate sort of romantic and pure love. And then sex, sexual love and sexual relationships in manga. So they were saying, well, Yuri is porn. So we'll call mm-hmm. it shoujo I. But shoujoi actually is the word that's used by pedophiles. Like, sort of exactly like shonen eye and shoujoi is sort of like the man-boy love from Nambla. Mm. It's exactly that same mm. level of, like, let's not go there. Oh. So I argue that Yuri didn't have that distinction in Japan because they don't make the distinction between romantic and physical relationships. And it's not that they don't. I mean, they have 18-plus stuff and that's that's valid um but they don't say oh this is cute little girls in love it's shoujo and this thing over here is adults in a relationship that's yuri they just say oh it's yuri Hmm. or at the time they didn't call it yuri at all now they do and over the years i and the other artists and creators and publishers have been promoting and working on promoting and expanding this definition and the definition that you gave was very close to the Yurikon official definition, which is any story that has a female character who's a lesbian or characters in love or in an intense emotional relationship or any story with lesbian themes or identity, which is really pretty much still the smallest bit. Um, all of them are Yuri. They can be found in every genre in Japan, in all four of the demographic genres and all of the non-demographic genre-focused stuff, 
And and basically now yuri is its own genre. When you go to the bookstores now in Japan, they have a yuri section, which we have been working for for the last twenty years. And I feel like when I walk in and I see the yuri corner or the yuri boo, uh-huh. um, which the yuri boo is the the section for yuri recommendations, and I see that in three stores: the anime in gamers in Akihabara, um, Shosen Book Tower in Akihabara, and the Ikebukuro new um, headquarters of Animate. And when they have a Yuribu, I walk in and I just go, yes, I won. <laughs> <laughs> this was like, my, my life's work is in nice. this shelf right here. And so I feel really good about that. So to, long story short, it's basically anything with lesbians in it and anything about same-sex attraction or love or emotional connection. Cool. Thank you for that. Certainly. That went a lot further than I thought. Sorry, that was like the whole no, no. history and like, you know. That was great. It had a great ending. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. We also take a little bit of look into search data because it's, uh, we try to figure out how popular the fandom has been and, and kind of if it's getting more or less popular using the only yardstick we've found so far, which in this case is, is Google Trends, obviously a little bit biased. Interesting. Google Trends data goes back all the way to 2004. And if we look up Yuri the genre as a search topic, um, it looks like it's probably enjoyed a little bit of slow growth, but has been relatively constant. There were some spikes in the data that I tried to figure out, oh, okay, what did this correspond to? But I think they were just completely unrelated because there was a spike. Nope. Oh, no? Okay, please. I can tell you what the, the spikes are specific series. Okay, please do, because Ooh. when I looked into the spikes, I'm like, this could be this, but I don't know what else it could be. So, for example, there's a spike in 2016 of December. Okay. Anything coming to mind? Sure. It would probably be NTR and Citrus both being announced. Okay. So the anime for NTR and Citrus. But in 2004, it's interesting you chose 2004 because 2004, not saying it's the origin of Yuri at all. It's not. The origin of Yuri is back in the 1990s with um, Sailor Moon. When... Mm-hmm. Let me just start backwards again. <laughs> so I'm going to do the same thing. So, so sure. one of the things about fans is they tend to assume that history started when they first noticed it. And they ignore the stuff that they didn't mm. know about before there was a Google. <laughs> so in 1994, um, Sailor Moon S was on. And in Sailor Moon S, there famously is a lesbian couple, mm-hmm. you know, Kayo Michiru and Teno Haruka. And that was who, I, who got me into this. And at the time, famously, the gay section of Tokyo would just come to a dead halt every Sunday night so they could watch this cartoon. <laughs> All right. So they literally, everybody would go to the bars at seven at night to sit and watch on a TV all together. There was this gay couple here. So that was very exciting, you know, and this is long before Google. <laughs> it's long before the Internet. This was very, very important in uh, uh, following that up. That same director went and did uh, Revolution uh, Utena, Shoujo Kakame Utena, also very popular in Yuri circles. And then right as 1999 ended. Um, there was a series that started in novels called Maria Samagamiteru. In 2004 was the anime. So what happened in 2004 was that the anime was started to be released of this novel series that's been around for five years. And there's one character that's gay. It's not an important theme, but it's a very gay series, even though it's not gay. Say is gay. Like, saying say is your favorite character is like saying the sky is blue. Yeah. 
And we actually told the artist that, and she thought that was funny. Um, <laughs> but the, the writer, excuse me. But but the bottom line is that then in 2004, Yuri started getting into the popular zeitgeist because the anime was popular. So the anime came into the world as a TV anime, and so people who watched TV anime became, were interested in it. And they started buying the books backwards, as I did myself, and just started reading it. And then so it, it sort of kept the series going for 15 years. This novel series, which you can't see, which is actually up here behind me, there's 50, 50 books in the series. Wow. And so she wrote them for 15 years. And this not just set a pattern in what people were looking for when they were looking for Yuri, but it set all these clones and of those clones, you could start tracking spikes in interest, Kanazuki no Miko and Strawberry Panic. And then later on, you have this series and that series. And this year, you have several series. You have, uh, last year, you had Citrus and NTR, neither of which I liked at all. And then this year, you have Kasa-san, Asagawa to Kasa-san, which right now is in the theaters in Japan as an OVA. And unlike most OVAs, it's still in the theaters three weeks later. Oh, wow. So you ask... Is it popular? It has been rising. It's very much a case of more audience builds more content, which builds more audience, which builds more content. It has been my genuine pleasure to be part of this growth for the past 20 years. Fair. I should have said using the yardstick that we haven't been able to find because one of the challenges of doing a weekly podcast on a different fandom every week <laughs> is it's like, how much research can we get done in a week with our own regular day jobs? Sure. Yeah. Sure. No, I totally understand. I'm a professional researcher. This kind of stuff is easy for me. I actually really enjoy research. And except for when it gets to the number crushing, like that part's boring, but I actually <laughs> like doing the qualitative research. And, and so I do that kind of stuff all the time. And let me just say, my blog, Okazu, is 15 years old. Oh. It's actually 16 in August. And I have been writing obsessively about this for 16 years. So if you want to know about the history of Yuri or the trends in Yuri or the keynotes in Yuri, do please come to Okazu. It's all there. Okay. It's my life's work, basically. I'm working on the book. I'm working on the big book of Yuri, but (laughs) but it's on the blog right now. All right. I've got... I think I have some questions, but I'm going to come back to those. We're just going to plow through some more facts before we get into (laughs) some more discussion. Okay. Okay. Usually I try to dig up some fan demographics, which is almost always sourced by fans. Sometimes it's more scientific if there happens to be a more scientifically oriented project. This week I found from a blog called Floating Into Bliss. They wrote a blog post in 2017 after doing a survey of about 700 respondents. And so just talking at a high level about uh, gender, sexuality, and age, a plurality identified as women, about 47%, surprisingly to me, had almost an equal amount of representation from those identifying as men, about 44%. That seems sensible. The remaining, let's see, it's like 10-ish percent, uh, identifying as non-binary or or other. Okay, I would go with that. Okay. Uh, In terms of sexuality, of the women who responded, 96% listed their sexuality as something other than heterosexual, compared to only 23% of men. Okay. So... That all seems totally consistent. Yep. That part was a little less surprising. The mode age group is about 21 to 25, those 16 to 20, and 26 to 30, which are about the same demographics for anime and manga fans in general. Right. On Okazu, our, our demographics have run a little older. 
it's kind of not surprising. I exhort people to buy all the time. So I assume mm-hmm. that um, my readers are educated because not only do I exhort people to buy, I exhort people to read and think and read widely because I'm a comparative literature major from back in the day. Oh, cool. So I write posts about like, read a book without words. Try that. And uh, I expect my readers to be a little bit on the older side. So we tend to run more 35-ish. Okay. You know, the 35 and older crowd, but we have a, a tremendous number of readers in the 20s, which makes perfect sense. I've had plenty of people come up to me and say, oh, I, I've been reading your blog since sixth grade. And I go, Whoa. what? <laughs> like, why? <laughs> like, okay, wait, I write, and I'm going to be honest, I write for my 11-year-old self, so I get it, but holy <laughs> Makes it real. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. There were also some other interesting results, not about demographics, but they were from the survey. Most respondents prefer to read Yuri manga, about 55%, compared to watching anime at about 16%, Mm -hmm. or visual novels, which is about 4%. About 18% do not care what format it is, they just love Yuri. Well, that makes sense. There's not a Up till 2016, there wasn't a lot of Yuri. And we've been been reviewing Yuri, you know, anime with Yuri things. You know, characters or storylines or fetishes or whatever, but until very recently, we haven't had a lot of specifically Yuri anime in the last few years. We've actually gotten a lot, and this year we have, I think, five or six anime coming out that are actually Yuri anime, which is extraordinary. I mean, it's just absolutely mind-boggling that these series, they're not always series I like, but they're series that are openly identifying as Yuri, which is unusual. So there's way more Yuri manga. There's very few Yuri light novels, except for the Strawberry Panic series uh, in English. And I assume that most of this is English language reading. I presume as such. The survey didn't state, but it, it was uh, English-speaking folks. Right. So that's going to change everything in terms of the dynamics, because the amount of Yuri that's available in Japan dwarfs what's actually out here in English. And it's coming out pretty fast here in English. I'm not complaining. I think 2017 is a banner year. There were a lot of interesting results from the survey, and I highly recommend you check them out. Uh, I'll include a link in the show notes. Excellent. But the other thing that I called out was over 40% read both pornographic and non-pornographic content and don't have any particular preference for one or the other, Okay. which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I don't really have any thoughts about that. Um, Adults read porn. Kids read porn. Everybody reads porn. It's It's not that surprising to me. Okay. There's not that much Yuri porn outside fan circles. I mean, fanfic, Dojinshi. I can't think of the last Yuri porn. I'm trying to think manga that I've seen in years. But I stopped reading them because they were very depressing. Depressing how? You don't want to know. Okay, all right, moving on. <laughs> Guys don't know how women have sex. It's really, really, really pathetic. Can I just be honest? Oh. Guys have mm. fucking no mm. clue how to that's why it's depressing i'm thinking that's not how sex works it's not how women's bodies work you have no clue what you're doing and it's depressing as an adult woman i just feel like it's the saddest thing i've ever seen that's fair yeah Yeah. it sounds dismal it is dismal Mm -hmm. that's that's, that's a good word i use dire dire is the word i tend to use so that that's what i managed to get for fandom facts that's cool we got some famous last words before we had done any research okay (laughs) I sent these ahead to Erica ahead of time. 
And I said, please don't ask me this one. Okay. You, you do not have to answer this one, but I am curious to see if Z managed to find anything. Boy, that's what I yeah. thought. You're, uh, part of the fun of famous Ooh. last words is eating our famous Boy. last words. Yep, uh, I've got a knife and fork ready. Okay. <laughs> last week, uh, Z's thing that he was going to research for this episode was, is there a Japanese version of Tanya Chalkin's The Kiss? For those who don't know, The Kiss is like a really stereotypical bro-ish dorm poster thing. It's exactly what it is. Yeah, of of two women like kissing and kind of like intertwined. Oh, yeah, yeah. There are two women who are conventionally attractive, pretending not to be, in underwear, kissing, and ta-da, look how cool we are with lesbians. It is literally <laughs> a statement and it's totally a bro poster. It's like, look, I'm totally cool if you and your friend want to kiss. <laughs> That's how it's... I feel about that. <laughs> Z, when you originally asked this question, I thought you meant Gustav Klimt's. Oh, that's that would what, be awesome. When I, <laughs> I hate Klimt, like but for totally unrelated be. reasons. My dentist had, my orthodontist had Klimt in the um, waiting room, and so I learned to really hate him. But but at so, least that would make sense. So the answer is no. I can't think of, I do not know what sad men in Japan use to show how cool they are <laughs> with lesbians. I'm sure it's equally as depressing. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I, I actually encountered that one for the first time, that, that particular picture. Mm-hmm. In a lesbian B and B in Rehoboth Beach, it was the first time I've ever seen it. Uh, oh, really? Yes. And I was like, really? So, but they had paintings downstairs, which were much nicer. They were like actually art paintings. So, I was like, okay, few, because that one was like, oh look, they bought this at the mall. <laughs> it totally looked like the mall. I'm like, I have no idea. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Z. I have no, no idea what no the equivalent, what the mall painting or mall poster equivalent is for Japan. <laughs> I'm sure if you ask some of the guys there, they'll tell you. <laughs> Probably. Right next no to doubt. the dark side of the moon and the <laughs> Scarface poster. No, <laughs> you know what? It would be, I'll tell you what. I lie. It's probably a picture of Luca and Miku. And oh, yeah. The vocaloids. Yeah. Look, there's one of the two of them oh, with yeah. hands together and their cheeks together. It's probably something ah. that like that. Actually, that's probably what it is. Yeah, there but, you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In my search for that, I didn't find anything either, just because, I mean, if if I was coming at this the other way, if this was a Japanese podcast, and I was like, okay, we've got this picture that's like this iconic sort of dude bro-y, uh, I'm cool with lesbians uh, kind of picture, and then I was like, what's the English equivalent? I wouldn't know to search for the kiss. Right, right. So, no. there's... There's probably something out there, and it probably does have to do with Vocaloids, because, I mean, that fandom is crazy in a good way. I, I have a friend, no shade, I, have a, but... I have a late friend who was really, really into the Vocaloids, and I really respected him in every other way. <laughs> I think they're cool. I think they're, I'm not, I'm not dissing anybody it's out a, there who cool likes the Vocaloids. Invention. I think technologically they are a brilliant mm-hmm. concept, but I can't listen to their music. <laughs> I will say, though, I did find it really interesting, uh, looking into the Kiss that the origin is the exact opposite of what you would expect. It came about as part of an ad campaign for a company called Queer Company, which was a uh, an LGBTQ company in the UK that were specifically st- like setting up a website for uh, LGBTQ financial services. Interesting. I don't know what that means, but that's what they were doing. This was in the early 2000s, I guess the... Uh, dot-com bubble had not yet uh, burst over there so they're kind of riding high on that and they 
wanted to get together this this ad campaign to make people aware of their company, aware of their services. Um, so they hired on Tanya Chelkin, and she wound up coming up with this photo of these two women, these two models, on a bed kissing from overhead. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, the, the services would be because in the early 2000s, gay couples didn't have any financial or legal rights. Hmm. Right. So, for instance, my wife and I had to make sure we had not only our finances in each other's name, but also our legal mm. documents that we used to have to carry around, even domestically, when we went from state to state. Because if I was in Florida and got sick and she was there, they would not necessarily consider me her next of kin at the time. Mm-hmm. So, that's the kind of thing that was set up to do. I've had a financial advisor for many years, and mm. and he's gone through a lot of legal changes as well as the the financial ones. Yeah, so that's probably yeah. what they meant by LGBTQ financial services. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's very cool, though. I had no idea. Yeah, it was a total surprise to me because the uh, the dude bro kinda... version was my introduction. Poster kinda... sales during university. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's exactly it. <laughs> All right, so on to a... Different question. Question. That's different question. Okay. <laughs> it's only up from here. Yeah, okay. So we had a guest on previous episode, Tyler. He asked, what is the primary focus of Yuri, uh, since Yaoi seems to be focused on the Seme-Uke relationship? Oh, I see. So he wants the stereotypes. Okay. So we're going to step backwards real quick. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Yaoi, which is actually called Boys Love in Japan, and I will refer to it as BL. BL is a subgenre of girls and women's manga so shoujo and jose manga mm-hmm. the, those are two of the four demographic genres whereas yuri is a a feature a series of features in all of the demographic genres so whereas bl has very homogeneous origins so it's women who grew up reading girls and then women's manga and then the magnificent 49ers they started writing stuff and they wanted to play around with sexuality and gender and understand what relationships were like using boys so they're writing it's mostly straight women writing for a fairly homogeneous straight female uh, an assumed straight female audience and that's an important distinction because of course many gay folks read it queer men and women read bl manga but it's primarily written by straight women for straight women whereas yuri is written by Men and women, straight and gay, for whoever reads it. And so if you, Nicks, got together and decided to do a Yuri manga, I guarantee that even if we had the same tagline, if you, you and I, if you guys and I had the same prompt, we would not write the same story. Right? That only seems sensible, right? And you would write it from your perspective and your understanding of human and romantic and sexual relationships, and I would understand, I would write it from mine, so that Yuri has a, a heterogeneous origin. You have people writing seinen manga for adult men and shonen manga for young men and jose manga for adult women and shoujo manga for young women that will include yuri elements and each one of them is going to read differently. So, that said, yuri doesn't have the kind of definition that every other genre has because it doesn't have a homogeneous origin. To add to the confusion, I wrote a whole article about this. Um, I have literally an entire article on yurikon.com. We have an essays page, and there's there's articles, dozens of these. 
we collect all the Yuri uh, scholarship we can find. Hmm. To add to the confusion, then you have lesbians drawing lesbian manga or people drawing manga for lesbians, gay magazines, and that's going to have a completely different feel and attitude. So if I'm writing something for lesbians as opposed to writing something for a non-lesbian audience, it again reads differently. And just to make this more complicated... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's publishers who have their own agenda, which has nothing right. to do with the agenda of the creators or the readers. So you basically have a heterogeneous readership, a heterogeneous creatorship, and publishers. And so it's a constant push-me-pull-you. So what's the main focus? So to answer the question, Tyler, um, there are not the kind of tropes that are baked into BL. In the early 2000s, publishers tried to kind of squeeze girls' love at the time. They were trying to, first of all, call it girls' love, and second of all, trying to squeeze it into the uke Sammy thing. It doesn't work, and here's why. If you go back to Sailor Moon and you look at Haruka... Oh, wait, better, better, better. Watch Xena. If you watch Xena, Warrior Princess, Xena's tough. Mm-hmm. She's clearly the Sammy, right? Mm-hmm. No. There's no way she's the same in that relationship. <laughs> she is clearly never going to lift a finger until Gabrielle says, give me your goddamn hand and put it between my legs. Because that's how women work. Women who are typically in a position of physical power will tend to be like, you need to tell me when I can do this. It's just the way women are. It's, and I'm not saying all women. And so if you're out there going, I'm not like that. Yes, I totally think that's valid. I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying that generally in Yuri and in life, Butchier woman tends not to be the seme. So watch Haruka Michiru at Sailor Moon. Who's the seme? Michiru is the seme. And we all know she is. She's the one who runs everything because Haruka's like, you're the boss. I'm in a lesbian bar in 2002 in Tokyo. For the first time in my life, I'm in a lesbian bar. And people are saying, American butchers are totally different than Japanese butchers. We're so much nicer. And I said, and I quote, She's the queen, and I live to serve. <laughs> That's why. So, it's a different dynamic. So the semi-uki thing doesn't really quite work, or it works in a sort of inverted weird flip-flop. What we do have in Yuri is we have specific literary tropes, and I've written about this in absurd detail in my History of Yuri category on Okazu, where I talk about the early Yuri that sort of establishes a cool, apparently cool, dark-haired Nadeshko, sort of very, very classic beauty, um, who's actually a raging ball of crazy emotion, and a cute, ginky, bubbly, you know, lighter-haired girl, and lighter-haired girl comes into the other girl's life and throws her life into complete disarray, and at least in the early stuff, death and destruction would happen. <laughs> Including knife fights and yeah. uh, suicides, which is great stuff, wow. and um, and burning whole houses down. I like that one too. Mayanosaretsu. Wow. Yeah, Mayanosaretsu. Great, great one. I hate your family because they screwed mine over, but I love you. But you're my half sister. Like, yes, wow. it's all of them. <laughs> <laughs> that sentence had a whole roller coaster to it. Yeah, it was a whole great thing. So, so yes, there are tropes, and I write obsessively about the tropes. But there's a lot of very, very specific chronological tropes like for a long time from the the mid 90s through the mid 2000s when a chick pulled up on a motorcycle and you get the 
person on a motorcycle vroom vroom shows up at a girl's school and pulls off their helmet and they have hair and the hair goes like down here you know she's a lesbian and a lieutenant of forensic jury is fighting 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 fencing 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 with Mickey and pulls off her helmet and hair goes down and these pre like curls and you're like lesbian <laughs> and so yes there are tropes but they're often based on literary and artistic historical references that you don't know as a reader Tyler and so I write a lot about that, and I hope you will read some of those articles. Right. Like, for example, um, St. Something or Other Catholic School. Yes! That started with Cream Lemon. Cream Lemon is a porn series in the 1980s. Have you guys seen Cream Lemon? No. No. Oh, God. Hang on a second. I'm right here. <laughs> As I said, my friend, my friend recently passed away, and one of the things we covered from him this is the cream lemon box set. Wow. Oh, wow. So it's a velvet. Ooh, nice. <laughs> Let me uncover this awesome treasure of <laughs> fabulous porn. <laughs> okay. Let's see if I can find the right one. There's there's a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> there's a, a tremendous amount of porn in this collection. If you only listen to the audio <laughs> version of this podcast. <laughs> so this. You're really missing oh, it. Okay. This. I believe is cream lemon escalation. I think this is the one that's cream lemon, es- uh, lemon escalation. Anyway, cream lemon escalation was a um, story that takes place in a girls' Catholic school. It's like Saint Joe Gakuen, which means like safe girls' school, <laughs> and they just gave up. Like, like they didn't even try, right? So what happens is you have Saint Go- Joe Gakuen, and it's all these girls having lesbian sex, and then in- inducting younger girls into lesbian sex, and then a giant BDSM party, which is the greatest scene. And it's not the greatest episode because it's actually even funnier one with a school doctor and somebody whose family rapes her, and it was hilarious. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> I-, I-, I wrote. If you read my review about Cream Lemon, you'll see I was drinking a lot of cough medicine that week. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> a lot of cough medicine. Anyway, so the point is that. Um, in the early 20th century, the, the Catholic priests from France and Britain started establishing girls' schools. And up to then, young people didn't have adolescence, right? Mm-hmm. Until the early 20th century. This is true worldwide, right? Yeah. You were a child till puberty, and then you were an adult. Mm-hmm. When adolescents showed up, what we did is we take these adolescents, we move them to these, these hothouse environments where they're only with themselves. So sex and violence and blah, blah, blah. And so what happens is this idea that there's these Catholic schools where young people are taken out of their well-off homes and given this environment where they can be what we think of as adolescents um, is, is very, very embedded in early 20th century literature, school literature. Um, and the first lesbian novel, the first Japanese novel that I consider to be like Yuri is called Yana or Nani Shoujo, and it takes place in a young women's Christian association, YWCA. And uh, it's a girl's school, and there's a tower. And that tower is another trope that comes back. And what happens is, as the century goes on, more series sort of take that as the, the place, the physical space that girls can have these relationships unbounded by the reality of that they'll get married later or have to go to work. Um, Post-World War II, a lot of the girls went off to work. And some of them wanted to get married to get away from that. And others wanted to work to become independent um, and not have to get married. 
And so you've got these girls' schools, and so Cream Lemon does St. Joe Gakuin, and then you have um, Shiroi Hano Fitari, the first year in manga. Um, it's a far-off exotic school in France. <laughs> and then, at, so it picks up, right? So then we start getting these other things. So you've got, like, St. Lillian, uh, Lillian Academy in uh, Maria Samagamitaru, and then you get Strawberry Panic, which is the ultimate parody, and they just make up fake names. So you have St. Miator, St. Spica, and St. Lulim. Whatever the f*** that means. Um, and each of these are these sort of mock Catholic schools. So so it becomes this hothouse environment, a physical space, where girls can sexor each other without adults being around, except for nuns who are always invisible. Or huge disciplinarians, one or the other. And then you get things like Keko Common, which is also making fun of that. And it's a Gona guy also. And also um, Cutie Honey, which also takes place at some ridiculously named school. So it becomes sort of a, a feature of girls' schools that it's Saint pick a freaking word. <laughs> like, it has nothing to do with reality and there is no saint named after that. <laughs> I could write a whole essay on the ridiculousness of Yuri Saint names. I love them. <laughs> Nobody's ever gone to Saint Barbara. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> saint Barbara. It's too easy. It's too yeah. easy. Yeah. All right. Conveniently, you answered the other two questions that we had <laughs> before we get into the main discussion, which were from G, who is Yuri for, which uh, got wrapped up nicely uh, answering Tyler's question. And I had asked, what is the first canonical Yuri manga, which you literally just said? Shiroi no Fatari. It's not canonical. There's no such thing as canonical. I define it as the first Yuri manga because it has all of the, the tropiness and it has um, a lot of other qualities. It's by Yamagishi Ryoko, who was, hang on a second, let me see if I can find it right behind me here. I believe I have it right here. What? Uh, uh, where's my shoe right here? Here it is. Sorry, I have to move. Saber out of the way. <laughs> Saber in a suit. I win. That's all I'm oh. saying. <laughs> you all have inferior sabers. Saber in the wedding dress. Pff, that's all I'm saying. Okay. Saber in the suit. is the Fate Zero is the only one that made sense. All right, Shiroya Heino Fatari by Yamagishi Ryoko, who's more well known in Japan as an actual artist, a really fabulous artist, than even a mangaka. Um, what you have here is oh, look, it's a long, dark haired, intense looking young lady in a super hyper, cute. This is Racine, this is Simone. Simone is super intense, and they live in a tower. And that's another thing you see over. And, I, I, like the tropes exist, Tyler. You just need to look for them. <laughs> so I mean, like, where do Ashi and Utena live? In a tower. Okay, just saying. <laughs> so Simone is super intense. Racine is super bubbly. Simone falls in love with Racine, and during the play, they kiss, and it's real. Right? It's intense. And Simone eats her liver out, and finally, in a fit of being unable to express this, knowing Racine will go home and marry a man that she should go home and be happy with, but of course can never be. She goes to a bar, gets drunk, and kills somebody, and then dies in a knife fight. Wow. Which unintentionally fulfills at least three of the American lesbian pulp novel tropes as well, which huh. for which I love. So I thought, this seems like a good one to be the first manga. <laughs> it's not the first thing. But I call it the first Yuri manga. There is no canonical. 
not yet a god. <laughs> when I am the Pope of Yuri, <laughs> then yes, this will be canonical. Those were the famous last words from last episode. Okay. So if you had questions, those are answered now. Good, we got them. Okay. Those All right. Down. Hopefully I've answered those. Oh, no. Fully. I think those are covered yeah. quite well. That leads us to the main discussion. Why? All right. Well, one of the things that I that I came across, and I think it's kind of been touched on a little bit here and there through the last words and through the fandom facts and the discussion there, but um, I don't know if it would be a trope or maybe just like a quality that some or most Yuri has, but sisterhood kept coming up and like that, uh, I guess sort of at the core, really how important, because with boys love, I'm just going to mm-hmm. shoot off in all directions here for a second. No, I actually think that's a really good question. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in boys love, relationships are very important. And I'm just wondering right. if it's the same thing with Yuri in that, you know, sisterhood is as important as, as just relationships in general, or if there's sure. something there. That's a really, really extraordinary, really good question. And it harkens back to the early 20th century stuff again, mm-hmm. because we go back to the private schools because Kids didn't have school that way. So so private schools were a place where people uh, were developing relationships outside family for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you're all aware I'm saying that. I'm saying this in a broad sense, but you may not actually be aware that one of the defining characteristics of, of Japanese school life and work life is the kohai-senpai relationship. Yeah. In which it, it's not senpai noticed me. It's that, and we do this in America, you get to a job. And somebody says, he's been here for six months and you've been here one day. He's going to walk you around and show you where to get coffee Mm -hmm. and what the best sandwiches to get in the cafeteria are and where we keep the supplies. That's sort of basically Senpai Kohai in a very, very banal sense. Uh, In a real sense, if you are a a kid in a, a club or a team, there's an older student who maybe will take an interest, maybe will take an interest in you. And just not only just show you the ropes, but also be like your protector and your mentor Mm -hmm. and your protege. And this can be a relationship that lasts throughout life. And it could be a relationship that lasts, you know, a season. Yeah. It's not like there's a defining specific thing. So when you take this idea and you put it into a girl's school. Now, I, I ask you to do something that may be difficult. Imagine yourself as girls in 1920. Okay. Okay. This is really hard. Mm-hmm. In 1920, you had very few options as a girl. You would go to basic secondary education. We assume you'll be able to read, you'll be able to write, possibly speak French a little bit. You'll write poetry. If you were rich, you would do finishing school, and that's true in Europe and Japan, where you'd want to, you know, arrange flowers and mm-hmm. play the piano and look pretty in a dress for your husband. Uh, but your servants do most of the work. If you were a middle class or lower class person, of course, you have you have no servants and you do the work. So the assumption is basically you're both meant to look pretty and do the work. Mm-hmm. Um, so your options are considered right away to be relatively low. Yeah. In post-war Japan, girls had not just an opportunity from lower middle class, but a, an imprimatur to get to work. They were working in factories. They were working in... Um, larger companies that were really trying to build the infrastructure, build Japan, rebuild after mm-hmm. the war. And in between that, there was this period of time where you had girls going to these schools, 
who were neither about to be married off nor going to work. You get to this world and an older student, your senpai, might take care of you. Now, you're a Catholic priest now. You have all these young men or young women. Mm -hmm. They're sex segregated, but they're still in puberty. What do you do to make relationships non-sexual? You say, this is your sister. Mm. This is your brother. Right. You love them deeply and passionately, but platonically. So, in the 1930s, you have boys and girls magazines being created in Japan for the first time. You have literature mm-hmm. by and for girls. And those pieces of literature would have stories and poems and letters written by the young women. And they'd say, I would like to talk about my Onesama, my big sister. She is so beautiful, like a lily in the moonlight. And they would be rhapsodic and passionate. And there's an entire book called Passionate Friendship. Hang on a second, it's right here. Wow. <laughs> That's why I keep this stuff here. And there's a story behind all these sticky notes, which is why I leave them here. It's called Passionate Friendship by Deborah Shamoon. It's really good where it's really good, and it really, really is angry-making where it isn't. <laughs> and I started making comments as I was reading with these teeny little stick-it notes and then when I finally got through the whole page like I just finally like literally took out an entire notebook and just stuck it in there like, yeah. so um, it's really good until it isn't really good anymore and she, she really screws up Yushi and Nabucco stuff but aside from that the passionate friendship these platonic romances were encouraged because they were platonic and to some extent it's still very typical in same-sex segregated schools that there will be platonic relationships and the word that the Japanese use to kind of describe this is called akugare it's admiration tinged with desire but it doesn't necessarily go anywhere yeah so this beloved older student who takes care of you and is kind to you and you love more than a sibling but not as much as anything else mm-hmm. has its own special place and so it's an important relationship and a lot of Yuri manga is written about that. So when you have Maria Samagamiteru, you actually have that enshrined in the story where the characters take little sisters in a very romantic and ritualized thing that they do where they stand in front of the statue of the Virgin Mary and hand over their rosaries and say, will you be my little sister? Wow. And they say, hi, Onesama. And so you have this Emoto Onesama thing that's super hyper-ritualized it's loved in Japan, and it is beloved in Yuri as a, a huge trope, and it's an important part of it. And then you get these complete bastardizations of it in, uh, like, Shorba Panic, which is just maddening, um, but also hilarious. But it's become tropey. Mm-hmm. So this thing that's real and important becomes a typical trope of a Catholic school. Right. I hope that answered that in more detail than you ever expected. <laughs> It really did. I mean, I was genuinely curious as to why the whole uh, big sister, little sister thing would have been important to Yuri. And it's it's really interesting to find out that it's understandable, too, that it's uh, it's become a trope, you know, because that's it's become a trope. But it was a historical need in reality. Yeah. And that's you'll find that a lot. If you if you trace this is the thing that I would say, trace back where things started and you'll find that there was a historical need or mm. 
focus every time. You'll find that somebody said, hey, we should do this thing. Yeah. You know, like Yano Renu Shoujo, here's a woman writing a story about a, a younger woman who idolizes an older student in a tower. And she did tropes that you would recognize, like somebody showering, but there's so much steam you can't see anything. Like that <laughs> was written into a book in 1920. Mm. <laughs> Where did it come from? Why? Because Yoshino Nobuko wrote it. And that's the stuff that I care about. Those connections. Yeah. Okay, so, like, there are obviously Yuri, manga, anime, etc. that are very trope-heavy, and we've talked a little bit about how historically there was a reason for that. Moving forward into the present, what kind of trends are there in Yuri now? Because when I was doing the research, I came across this idea of, uh, I guess similar to what you'd mentioned with Akugare, uh, the class S genre where you have like a... That's actually the 20s, the 1920s oh, okay. stuff. Okay, cool. That's not the new stuff. That's the really old stuff. Class S is the 1920s okay. movement. It's a literary and artistic movement. Okay, but but you have this idea that I think still persists in some sense where, you know, this, this love that you have between two women uh, is transitory until they, they grow up and eventually they understand that they're heterosexual and, and they want to become mothers. Um, that, that was kind of the idea then. How is the trend? Has it changed or is it kind of the same? I, I, I know this hard to answer because you also mentioned that Yuri is. It's a hard to answer question because it depends on who's writing it for whom. Hmm. So let me just use a couple of examples that I've reviewed in the last few years. There are a few, a short handful a couple thumbfuls of uh, artists who are out lesbian creators writing Yuri manga. Um, and I'm going to talk about their work. So you have Nakamura Chin, whose real name is Nakamura Kyo. She wrote Gunjo, which was like a real crime novel about a woman who had abused her whole life and a lesbian who killed her husband for her. And the two of them running away from the cops for two weeks. And this incredibly brutal, super intense incredibly violent relationship that builds up between them. And then you have someone like Takamiya Jim, who is writing Yuri for Yuri Magazine. So she's writing for Comic Yuri Hime. She's also writing for Jose Magazine, Rockwin La Paradis. And she's writing stories that have characters who identify as lesbian, which is like really unusual. And they actually use lesbian slang, which is practically unknown outside lesbian work so that's a trend uh it's a trend of a few of artists who are writing for or recognition of lesbian identity in yuri manga and it's a really really rare thing in fact so yuri khan has a definition of yuri manga that's any story with lesbian themes or, or characters i have a definition of yuri that is lesbian content without lesbian identity mm-hmm. So if it's lesbian, they would say, I'm a lesbian. So it's lesbian. But if they don't say it's lesbian, but they say, I love you. Oh my God, I'm in love with a girl. That would make it Yuri. So that's my own personal. Mm-hmm. I don't ask anybody else to uh, ascribe to that. But I call it lesbian content without lesbian identity. So what you have a lot of right now is stories where girls fall in love with another girl. Not, I'm gay for you. Which is a different thing. I don't love girls, I just love you. That was very popular during the 90s and 2000s. I don't know why I feel this way. I've never felt this way about a girl kind before. Now we get something like Asagao Tokasa-san, where it's a genuine, sincere, adorable 
love affair between two young ladies, and they are not old enough yet necessarily to have lesbian identity, or something like Girlfriends by Milk Morinaga, which is also out in English. Um, everything I'm mentioning, with very few exceptions, is out in English, and if it's not like Yana or Shoujo, I'll let you know. But uh, something like Kanazuki no Miko, where you've got a sort of silly, made-up craziness is one thing, but you have something like Girlfriends by Milk Morinaga or Kasasan and Morning Glories by uh, Takashima Harumi. And those are stories about young women who start to realize they are in love with another girl. And we get to experience young love in a very sincere, very real way. It's not to say that there aren't lots of fantasy elements and there isn't service. Um, there's always service. I don't know why, yeah. but there's always service. And other things. There's things that the publishers want, the editors want, the reading audience wants, but the stories are real. And and I really feel like that's a huge thing that, that Kasasan getting a theatrical release and getting a really popular theatrical release uh, with, oh, I have it there over there. I'm not going to get them. Um, New Type covered them and Animage covered them. So it's like a big, big push mm-hmm. in Japan in the anime world. Um, it's not a big push like in the newspaper, but it's a big push for the anime uh, fans. Um, that is really significant to have a, a oh, I'm going to use a word, I'm going to kick myself for using like a pure Yuri story. <laughs> there's no such thing as pure Yuri, right? There's just a, a, more, a more sincere and real story. But Kasa-san comes from a magazine called Pure Yuri Anthology Hirari. And they used to say this is pure love. And, and every once in a while, and I think, T, when, when you and I were, were up in Yurithan, I think somebody actually did, you know, I love the pure love. And I kind of said, like, there's no such thing. <laughs> Have you met two human beings? Like, that's not how love works. So trends are hard to define because they're often created by the publishers, what they're paying for, what they're doing. If you look at the trend for, like, comic Yurihime, the trend is really skanky Yuri turning into anime because the editor-in-chief, that's what he likes. He likes the skankiest stuff. So that's where the money gets put. Can you call that a trend in Yuri? No, you can call it dude likes skanky <laughs> You know? Like like NTR and Citrus. It's nothing to do with Yuri. It's with him or with the people who put the money behind it. That's fair. We were watching some of the, I think it was the winter anime season. We've watched an episode of Citrus. It's like, I don't, I don't know if I want to watch more of this. Yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, I wrote an article about uh, mental unhealth and Yuri because that is an ongoing trope, and how it's not as common anymore. But there is a very real thing that's happened uh, since Freud. Uh, since Freud's definition of lesbianism being basically the father's fault, and a sort of pathologizing of masculinity in women, there's this idea that if your father neglects you, that you become this crazy lunatic yeah. lesbian. And it's pretty obvious to me that in every case of, of Yuri where the character is neglected by her father, she was sexually abused. But they never say that. They just say, he neglected her. And I'm like, he neglected her his penis. <laughs> like, that's not neglect. Her behavior, Maya's behavior in Citrus, clearly indicates that she was sexually abused. That's the behavior of a sexually abused girl. And I'm like, yay. Huh. That's totally what I want to represent <laughs> lesbians. Thanks. Yeah. Next. Yeah. Gee, you haven't come up with anything. Yeah. 
So as we have um, more manga and anime that, that has characters in it identifying as lesbian, not, as you said, just gay for you, but just gay. Mm-hmm. Do you think the gay for you idea is ever going to go away? Oh, never, never. There is a very, very real um, desire in entertainment generally, and I'm not saying in Japan or in manga, but generally, people like Forbidden Love. What do you think romance is? Romance novels are. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there's literally no way to separate out this desire for thrill from an entire genre of any kind, really. And that goes for literally anything. And and I I dare you to pick any book that you've read where I can't go, well, here's the forbidden part or the the bit where you're supposed to go, you know, if you're sexually immature, you go, you know, look, panty shots. I mean, what is the appeal of panty shots? Explain that to me. Exactly. (laughs) Right. So the appeal is something you shouldn't see, right? That's the appeal. The appeal is you're supposed to not see them and therefore woot. And I've argued this for years. The panty shots are incredibly dull to me. If I want to see women's underwear, I can literally open a drawer. (laughs) So it's not as exciting. And what's the appeal of it? It's it's the thrill of seeing something you're not supposed to see. And that is never going to go away in any genre of any kind. Mm -hmm. I guess kind of related to that. Are there areas of contention in Yuri fandoms? <laughs> oh, man, perfect. I was going to use an example, but I'm just going to, like, I'm just going to, nope. No, no, we all agree 100%. Uh, <laughs> that didn't sound very sincere. <laughs> no, no, that was not sincere at all. Um, yeah, well, the thing about Yuri, and because it has this heterogeneous audience and creative force, Yuri is in the eyes of the beholder, not in the eyes of the publisher or the creator. So, I don't know, do any of you write anything or, yeah. or sing? Or, when you write something, you put it out there and you think, well, this is self-explanatory. Everything I wanted to say is in it. And then somebody yeah. writes back a comment and you go, what? Oh, yeah. How did you even, I don't understand. So, we know that as soon as somebody reads it, it becomes theirs and they rewrite it for themselves, right? Yeah. In Yuri, it's specifically in the eyes of the beholder. So, when I look at something like NTR, there is Yuri in it. I will absolutely go with that. The artist is a Yuri artist, Kodama Naoko, whose other work other than NTR I really, really like. It's just NTR, I really don't. It runs in a Yuri magazine, comic Yuri Hime. There is no question it's Yuri. In my opinion, there's no Yuri in it. There is two girls having lesbian sex, while their boyfriend's in their next room, that's not Yuri. That's cuckolding, which is an entirely different fetish mm. using Yuri as the thrill. So it's using that as a feature, but it's not Yuri in and of yeah. itself. Will I have people disagree with me? I guarantee there will be people screaming in the comments before I finish that sentence. <laughs> it's just the way it is. It's in the eyes of the beholder. And I can't tell people it's Yuri. Well, I do, but that doesn't mean like has no meaning. <laughs> I have no force of, of Can't make law. Them listen. <laughs> listen, when I say, well, so in 2005, I'm sitting in this um, restaurant in Tokyo at YuriCon 2005, and they interviewed me. Um, they being the people at large, they were all asking me questions. It was a grilling session, and somebody said, "What do you consider Yuri?" And I laughed and said, "If I like it, it's Yuri." <laughs> and they, they thought that was hilarious because they understood that there's no answer to that, you know. The answer is, you know, so yeah, yeah, of course, there's contention 
and there's disagreement, one of the things I try to do at Okazu is encourage people to disagree civilly. You know, the rules are you can disagree with the comments, um, you can be rude to me because I don't care what you think, but you can't be rude to other people. So when someone says something, you can't be like, well, you're a jerk. Because you know what? Everyone's going to say something you don't agree with sometimes. It's all valid. It's a f***ing comic book. <laughs> can I just be honest here? We're literally having conversations about cartoons. <laughs> if you're going to be an asshole about that, that's you. Not to say I haven't been an asshole about that, <laughs> but... <laughs> but... Sometimes perspective is a, is a good thing to have. That's the one thing about being my age. It really puts a lot of perspective in, into place. My dad was a sci-fi fan before me, mm. and it was all fights all the way down. <laughs> you know, There's never been a fandom that didn't have <laughs> massive contention about pick a thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. In some of the past episodes... I'm shooting first. What? Sorry. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, in some past episodes, we usually... It's like there's curative fandom and transformative or, or however you want to describe it. And usually, I, I shouldn't say usually because I think about it, it's on both sides. But in curative circles, it's like you argue about what is correct. But I guess in transformative circles, you also argue about is what is correct. Mm, that's a good point. But in transformative circles, if you've got anybody within the circle who's been around for more than one fandom, it's not as contentious. Every fandom goes through life cycles, like every community, right? So you have people come in and they go, Hi, everybody, I just saw the, all the episodes of everything. Oh, my God, Hug Toe Precure is the greatest thing ever. Oh, my God, oh, my God. And they want to talk about it. And everybody in the fandom is like, Sure, talk about it. Like, you know, but yeah. then you get two other people who just come in from Hug Toe Precure and they're like, Oh, my God, oh, my God, or Heart Catch Precure or whatever, because that was a huge Yuri hit. And, and it's cool. You get that energy again and it's fabulous and in transformative circles. You get people going, well, what can we do with this energy? How has things changed? The problem is not the community or the fandom. The problem are individuals who go, oh, God, those weeaboos. They don't understand anything. And it's like, you know what? You were a hyper-enthusiastic <laughs> kid once, too, and now you're just an old Billy as asshole, you know? And I, I really work very, very hard not to become a Billy as asshole. Like, I have no objection to being an asshole. But I don't want to be bilious, you know. I don't want to be like you don't understand anything, <laughs> you know. So I, so I feel like it has a lot to do with the way a community is developed. Mm-hmm. One of the things we're doing with with Okazu, as I find I have less time and energy to watch anime, I don't want to be the those. I can't stand those guys who go, "Ow, oh, anime isn't good anymore. It was great in the nineteen eighty seven. You're like for f- sake." <laughs> Devil Hunter Yoko was not good. There is no objective sense in which that was good. I still like it, by the way, but that's not good. Because good and liking something are not equivalent. Bad and not liking something are not equivalent. You can like a thing when it sucks and be happy about it. You can not like a thing that's good and be happy about it. And just recognizing that your own bias is not important to other people's discussion is huge. It frees everybody. So when I write at Okazu, I put all my biases on the line. If you don't like what I like, you won't like this. But if you like things I hate, you might like this. You know? <laughs> so, so, and I've said that flat out, but the other thing I'm doing is trying to bring in other voices. So rather than me writing the third post about a series I hate, um, 
love to angle the anime. Um, I don't read it in the magazine. It's one of the two or three series I absolutely can't read. It's all tits and ass and camel toe. And I'm absolutely uninterested. Like, I do not find it has any redeeming qualities. It's not cute. It's not sweet. It's not funny. I'm not going to keep writing about how it sucks. What possible benefit to the community would that be? So if somebody wants to read a review of it, I go, do you want to write a review of it? Let's get a new voice in. And so I bring new voices in to do things that I'm not going to do so that it doesn't become like Erica hates this one too. <laughs> you know? Otherwise, that's the... God, who cares? You know? I want to be like, here's this cool thing. You want to know about this. That's what I want Okazu, what I want my communities to be like. Did you read about this cool thing? Did you watch this cool thing? I don't want me going, <sighs> yes, I watched it. It sucks. <laughs> you know? And, and I think a lot of anime manga communities go that way because once the people age out, particularly anime, when they get too tired, they've seen all of it that they like and they move on in life, they don't respond to the same things. And then instead of going, well, let me back off and let the next generation enjoy their things, uh, there's a really great picture I use all the time online, and it's a person pinching somebody's lips together. And it says, shh, let people enjoy themselves. Enjoy things. <laughs> yes. Let people enjoy things, right? That makes the biggest difference. Like, you guys are doing this. Can you imagine if you start getting people in your community going, oh, my God, another fan person? Jesus, what are we doing here? Like, you'd be like... Dude, there's the internet, <laughs> you know? So I really feel that the transformative fandom has the energy of creativity behind it. And, and the core of fandom has the energy of sort of original enthusiasm behind it and, and sort of learning and, and knowledge. But at some point, you have to just go, let people enjoy things. Yeah. As you're saying, you know, it's okay to not like the same thing forever. Like, and people feel like, that once they stop liking a thing, it's because it's not good enough for them anymore. Well, yeah. I mean, and that happens particularly in in creative fandom. So you're watching a TV show. Season five is the best thing ever. And then season seven, you're like, this sucks. <laughs> and instead of thinking, I've aged out of it. It no longer fills my needs. I am no longer interested in it. You go, it sucks. And yet there's all these new people going, wow, this season's great. Who's wrong? Nobody. Yeah. Except for you. Right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And fandom's all the same because fandom is people, right? So, yep. so all fandoms cycle through themselves and, you know, everything old is new again right now. So you're getting things like Starbladers, right? So Space Battleship Yamato is back for the 15th time and um, <laughs> Gundam again. <laughs> Never dies. Um, I think it's awesome. I'm absolutely uninterested in it. In every possible way. <laughs> um, but I'm uninterested. I'm not saying it's uninteresting. Mm -hmm. There's a, a distinct and important difference between those two things. I think it's interesting to see like how you've changed via what you like and what you used to like. Like I used to be around like 15, 16. I was like diehard into anime. That's when I really got in and sure. and explored. And I, so I'm like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a look back at some of the stuff that I really enjoyed. Boy. Um, back then and, and my favorite example is when I was 15 I thought Excel Saga was the most brilliant thing that I'd it ever seen it is actually brilliant <laughs> There's, it, I'm gonna say it's smart dumb yes it's dumb it's dumb as <laughs> but it's smart dumb and there's a whole level of yes we are doing this 
you thought yeah. we were doing that, and you're not sure we're doing it on purpose. We're totally doing that. <laughs> I actually have Excel song on the shelves, and I think it's it's a level of kind of smart, stupid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But watching it would be excruciating. I'll never do that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was watching it. I was like, oh, th- mm, can we? Like, bring it down, yeah. like, ten notches. Well, it's Mitsubishi Kutono. Mitsubishi Kutono's voice. <laughs> All right, so let, let's, let me just have a moment for Mitsubishi Kutono. <laughs> All right. Okay, sure. so she was Sailor Moon, right? Mm-hmm. Mitsubishi Kutono is a goddess among voice actors. And so I'm listening to a drama CD from Maria Samagamitsu, one of the ones up there. The series had been over for a while. They hadn't done this last drama CD. It was ending a major arc. They had to end it. And we have a bonus cash track after the end of the drama CD. So don't worry about this stuff. But we're in the bonus cash track. And they're all talking about the side story that includes famous voice actresses as their, as the older characters Onesama. So it's the older characters of the Onesama. It's their Onesama. And they're naming them. And they name the first two. And then there's a hush as all the voice. These are all well-known voice actresses. They're super well-known and famous. All get hushed and they go, Mitsuishi Kotono-sama and I was in the car and I'm doing it right along with them like and then they all crack up and I crack up too because there's like she's a goddess like there's voice actors and then there's her like all of all the people from the original Sailor Moon have hit a level that surpasses normal voice actors and actresses like they're all gods and goddesses so yeah so she was meant to be hyperphrenetic because mm. she was doing that thing that she could do mm-hmm. um also do you remember um kodomo no mocha a child's toy i saw bits and pieces of that the woman who played sana i thought my god she has got to go home and gargle every night <laughs> <laughs> you know but like you watch one piece now right mm-hmm. the woman playing rufi has been playing rufi for 16 years yeah think about how often rufi screams as long as you don't think she goes up and puts, like, hot packs on her neck? <laughs> you know, and you're watching it, and you're like, oh my god, stop screaming, but that's the character, right? Yeah. And I've been watching One Piece for 16 years, I'm still watching yeah. it. Like, it's great. Could I tell you, you should watch this thing now. No, I could never tell you that. It's so huge. That's how I feel about Doctor Who. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Doctor Who did a good thing by rebooting. By bringing in the new ones, because you could kind of say, "Here's a a doable." Mm. Like I think Eccleston was a great way to reimagine the character for modern world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I really, I'm I'm sorry, Eccleston isn't being given the credit he deserves because he pulled out of the whole thing. I mean, he really did a, a tremendous job bringing the character back. I'm an old old school fan. Mm. One of those, you know, I didn't have a scarf, but you know, when people say, "Well, what about this theory? Who's the greatest?" Who's the greatest companion? You know, is it Rose? I'm like, it's Ace. Shut up. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> like, ooh. the greatest companion was Ace. Boom. Mic drop. <laughs> you know, you have to get it right. Oh, man. Yeah. All right. I'm going to ask a question about Yuri. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right. I, 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 does, does that seem like a good idea? Like, don't let me stop it. Yeah, you wind her up. She just keeps going. <laughs> It's like a concluding question, so it's, okay. it could be cool. What... I will take it seriously. Okay, I, I believe you. I'm also being sincere. <laughs> okay. What would you say is something that you wish that other people knew about fans of Yuri? Anybody could be a fan of Yuri. It's not for anyone. It's not by anyone. 
There's no right way to be a fan of Yuri. You can love Yuri any way you want, and I don't care. If anyone tells you a series is not Yuri, just go, okay, and turn around and walk away. <laughs> you can be a fan of Yuri any bloody f- way you want, and anybody can be it. So, if you're watching the new card capture Sakura, and you're watching Tomoyo's obsession with Sakura, and you think, hey, is that Yuri? Yes. Yes, that is. If you're reading something like Kasa-san, and you go, gosh, this is a really pure Yuri, sure. If you're reading Sweet Blue Flowers, you go, wow, this is sort of like old school classical Yuri. Yes, yes it is. You can love Yuri however you want. Uh, if you read Cutie Honey of Go-Go and you think, gosh, Nachan is really butchy and she really has a thing for your honey. Yes, yes she does. However you want to have your Yuri, it's Yuri. And anyone can be a fan of Yuri. You're all welcome. As I say, YuriCon is a celebration of Yuri, of uh, lesbian themes and anime and manga. And we don't care who brings the drinks. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> All right, I am not going to ruin that with anything, but I am going to use it as a segue. Okay. It's my life. Could you tell us a little bit more about Yurikon? Because mm. I thought I looked it up, and I thought that Wikipedia said something, but I think Wikipedia lied to me. That's impossible. Probably. What? There were a couple what? people who didn't like me who decided to write the Yurikon entry. Mm. So Yurikon was an idea in 2002. Um, I started my blog in 2002. And at the time I was writing a, a group called Analesbocon. So in, I was doing Analesbocon as of 2000. Right? I started this website and this group. And it was for fans of anime and manga. And Analesbocon comes from a fanfic called Scenes from an Elevator. It was a Revolutionary Girl Lieutenant fanfic. Um, scenes from an elevator, you know, they're always going up and down the elevator on the TV thing. And head of animated lesbian convention was Haruka from Sailor Moon and Jury from Utena. So Annie Lesbocon. And I thought that was hilarious. And I just love the names. I started a website called Anna Lesbocon. I was just doing like online. We were chatting about it. We had a mailing list. We did lists. Before BuzzFeed, I did listicles. And um, we just, we just, you know, we're fandom. We were a fan. And somebody said, why don't we do a real event? And I thought, I've never done one before, but I've volunteered in a million of them. And my mom used to run them. And I'm not completely um, unexperienced in the various things that you have to do. So sure, what the hell? I'm a masochist. And I decided to do Yurikon 2003, which was the first ever three-day convention for Yuri. So... We did Yuri Contest in 2003, and basically I was chronicling that on Okazu, and we were doing all sorts of stuff online and running prizes and, and fundraisers and stuff, and and we did Yuri Con and that was great, and then we decided to do another one in 2005, figuring it would give us time to reboot and let the staff crash and die and come back as new people <laughs> and everything, you know. And we, so we did 2005, but we did it in Tokyo, because... I discovered in between 2003 and 2005, I was volunteering from 2000 on. I was volunteering at a lot of other conventions, too. I've been everything from con chair all the way down to the person who sits at the door and goes, pass? Yep, good. Um, <laughs> which is my favorite thing to do. And I've been guest in industry, and I was publishing at the time, so I was I was publisher industry. I've been a panelist. I've been uh, security. And I like being head of security a lot. <laughs> Not because it's like, oh, I'm the butch lesbian being the head of security, but because I can say <laughs> things like, 
No, 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 don't, like, people would come in and they'd be strapping on, like, you know, things with spikes and I'd say, no, no, you're, like, help. <laughs> I made security people wear, like, pink t-shirts and be nice. You know, be visible and friendly because you're the help. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be the help on the sucker, not, like, the, like, I'm going to intimidate you all. Like, what the f*** is wrong with you? These are kids here at a convention. Why would you want to intimidate them, like I remember being at a con, people were like trying to shove like katana in their belts. I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like, no, you don't do that. You you walk around and go, hi, is everybody cool here? And we had a big fight one day. I was head of security for another convention, also defunct. And there's like, there's a fight out in the lobby, and they found these two guys doing sun show in the lobby. And I'm like, dudes, I see you're doing sun show, and I think it's really cool. But there's a seven year old right behind you, and she's like this big, and you're gonna crush her. Could you just not? And they were like, oh, sorry. And I'm like, no, it's cool. I get it. And we walked away and everyone's like, how did you do that? I'm like, because I know what Sound Show looks like. And it's Sound Show is like kung fu hand stuff. Okay. But it's like, they weren't doing anything. Like, they weren't fighting. Like, get a grip. You know what I'm saying? So that was why I like doing security because I could make security friendly and cool. Mm-hmm. So we did 2005 in Tokyo and that was totally surreal and awesome. And then in 2007, I ran a one-day event. And between those three events, I decided, one, I never want to do the same thing twice, which is bad for a con. Yeah. Cons need stability, consistency, same hotel, same place, same town, same people, blah, blah, blah. And also, one of the things I was trying to do at the time was encourage the attendees to be the entertainment rather than to need to be entertained. Okay. And I still do that to you, Saw, at the Yuri panel. I'm like, you are my entertainment. I will tell you <laughs> stuff, but be interesting. Because like, if you're not interesting, I'm just going to smash it in. So in 2007, we ran two events. We ran the Yuri Sai and Ona, which was in conjunction with Shoujo-Kan. And then I wrapped it up for events. I just said, I'm done. And I didn't actually fold on events till 2013. I've been The depression hit. I've been trying to run events, but the hotels got weird. And I just, in 2013, said, I can't do events anymore. The hotels are assholes, and I'm not interested in in babysitting people. So I I kind of folded on the events. So it was not, it was a really amazing experience. I was really glad to do them. But at this point, I much prefer to show up as a guest at somebody else's event because I get to do all the fun and not have to deal with any of the boring (laughs) I also like being press. Because I can show up when I feel like it, talk to people who are interesting, <laughs> and leave when I feel like it, which is even better. So I've been everything, but tabling, selling, running events, and not that I don't mind volu- I don't mind volunteering, but I want to volunteer on my own terms. Mm-hmm. So that's that's Yurikon, and and there's plenty of events out there already, and Yuri is so much more mainstream. You don't have to go so far to find any. So I don't really feel like I need to do Eurycon anymore. And we were also trying, and please do not take this the wrong way, because you're guaranteed someone's going to take this the wrong way. I was trying also not to be like Yaoi-Con, mm. because Yaoi-Con was very much the tee look, boys, and glowing yeah. cones, and <laughs> and let's have a slave auction. I'm like, no, let's never fetishize gayness. Let's never eroticize a person's life and love let's make this about being 
who you want to be and everybody's welcome, but we're not going to do that kind of thing. So I actually had people going, oh, so if girls are kissing in the lobby, that's cool with me. And I said, well, then you can't come (laughs) because that won't be happening. This is an anime convention. Girls will be sitting in the anime rooms watching anime or talking in the panel rooms, not having orgies in the lobby because that's just weird. So that that sort of wore on me a bit, to be honest. Yeah, it would. Yeah. You'd mentioned that you were also a publisher at one point. Was that at all related to Yuricon or? Yeah, that was Anna Lesbocon, so I took the same name. Okay. I asked the person who wrote the the story if I could use the name, and we we published the first Yuri manga in America. Okay. Um, wow. The first one was called Rika Takanji. It's been published in Italian now, and it's also Japanese. Wow. It's out of print um, for various reasons, and, but it's free online on the Yurikon website. It's not the greatest ebook ever because it was before the ebook technology was really good, and I yeah. no longer have the interest in updating everything. Yeah. It was a lot of work. I translated it. I did all the editing and lettering myself because I had no oh. staff. I learned a lot about everything. <laughs> And then we did a bunch of other books. We did um, six Yuri Monogatari anthologies. It was Eastern, Western, European, North American writers and artists came together and did these anthologies. Over five years, I think we did it. And I did Works, which is another Yuri manga from um, a woman named Tadano Eriko-san. She is now publishing under another name, but she's still doing Yuri manga and a lot of hardcore stuff. And we just, we did that for 2003 through 2010. Okay. Then I wrapped it up. Again, it was the depression that pretty much killed it. The prices of paper and publishing just went exponentially high. The printers were having a hard time understanding digital at that point. Mm -hmm. I mean, really grokking digital. And they were charging the same for digital as they were for the print, and the offset printing, and I just, I just got caught in market forces. Yeah. We had built a Yuri audience, but not a Yuri market. And so, mm-hmm. once the Yuri market hit in 2011, 12, we were able to. Seven C stepped in and was able to. And I knew even when I was doing it, I was, I was laying foundation for somebody else mm-hmm. to make a lot of money, but it, it didn't work out for me. But I had a great time, and I've never regretted a single moment of that. Have some of my books here, so let's let's see if I can find one. Here's here's the last of them. You can actually still buy this on Amazon. Yuri Monogatari Six. So that's a really really awesome, pretty thick um, volume yeah. of Yuri manga from all over the world: Philippines, Japan, North America, Europe. Somebody from uh, Iceland, I think, did one. So cool. some really cool things. So that was that. And again, I wrapped it all up in about, everything sort of fell apart right around the time of the Depression, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I don't mean my depression, I mean the economic <laughs> yeah, depression, the economic. Right? right? The economic depression really just stomped all of this down. And so I ended up just sort of pivoting and working more on Okazu, and also specifically talking publicly, doing gigs, doing lectures. Mm-hmm. Um, I've spoken at the University of Michigan, I've spoken at MIT, I've spoken at Harvard. I've done a lecture at Gay Pride in Tokyo, which was the most amazing oh, thing what? I've ever done. <laughs> oh, it was the most amazing thing I've done in Japan. The most difficult thing I've ever done is I introduced 
the Revolution Girl Utena movie as part of Gay Pride in San Francisco at the Castro Theater in front of 1,200 people. And I was freaking scared. <laughs> I've never been so scared in my life. It was amazing. But I, you have to understand that of these 1,200 people, 1,100 of them were lesbians who'd never heard of anime. <laughs> and there was 100 people in the balcony. They were all in the balcony because I made a joke and they all laughed. That's how I knew they were all in the balcony. And I had to explain three minutes with the director sitting directly in front of me what this movie, which was the really surreal, amazing movie based on a 39-episode TV anime, what that movie was about. And so that's the most amazing thing I've ever done. Although speaking of Harvard, it was a cool thing. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I'm really doing, a lot of this kind of thing. Talking to you guys, talking at cons. I was just mm-hmm. a guest at Anime Next down in Atlantic City. And they are just magnificent. And if you ever get a chance to go to Anime Next, I recommend it. They're a really good group of people. I was up at Urethon last year. I hope to go back next year. I'm just hitting up as many events as I can. Oh, and the Yuri 10 event uh, this past month in Tokyo, which was a big Yuri focused art exhibit and shop cool. at which I spent a tremendous <laughs> amount of money. <laughs> so. I have Uten on my shelf, and I haven't started watching it yet, but I have seen the movie, uh, which is a really bad I don't see how you could watch the movie without the TV show. It is incomprehensible. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing you need to know about Ikuhara is that he utilizes a lot of the same visual um, devices repeatedly in all his anime. So if you watch Uten at the TV show, it, it should, you should absolutely watch Uten at the oh, yeah. TV show all the way through before you see the movie, because the movie is relying on the symbolism from the TV show mm. and the, the climax makes absolutely no sense if you don't know why it's the coolest thing you've ever seen. Although <laughs> the roses, the scene on the dueling ground, I use that one all the time. And when people say, what's Yuri like? I show them and people go, holy <laughs> that's awesome. And like, it is awesome. And it's a good song too. Um, I did a musical panel a few years ago where I had, that and Steven Universe sworn to the sword and the Casa something. And I just kept telling people, just sing. Go ahead. Just sing. You know, like <laughs> all the episodes, like Eternal Eternity from Sailor Moon. I just basically, I talked about things and then they did a video. But you have to see his stuff when you watch like that. And then Pe- Mawara Penguin Drum, uh, which is Penguin Drum in America. Um, and then Yurikuma Rashi. When you start watching his series in a row, you start realizing that Ikuhara has one, some very serious problems with his father, and two, a, a fairly specific palette of visual semiotics. And once you start realizing that, you go, oh yes, of course, I understand this now. It's, it, this is an Ikuhara thing, not, a, not this series thing. And uh, I love Utena. You should really watch the series. It's amazing. The, the movie, I love the movie, don't get me wrong. I think it's a, the castle car Holy f- castle car coming up right before they do Rimba Revolution. That needs like a 70 millimeter screen every yeah. time. It's the greatest scene. But it makes no sense. Unless you see the TV show, watch the TV show and prepare to be blown away because it's it's extraordinary. It's some good writing. Hmm. Not that I'm not passionate about films. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason Utena is one of those series. It's, it's a gateway anime. Mm-hmm. It brought a lot of your people into Yuri. Um, so you had Sailor Moon, Utena, 
and Maria Samagamitra and, and Kanazuki no Miko and Strawberry Panic. And you get these scenes where people, these series that get popular, you're talking about your spikes, you get specific series that make people your fans. They watch mm-hmm. and they go, wah. You know, like for me, it was the third episode of the third season of Sailor Moon. Sailor Moon asks third season, first kiss episode. This guy walks out, suit and tie, blonde hair, blue eyes. And then she goes, hey. And I fell off my seat and went, oh my God, that's the sexiest voice I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and then I found out what it was and I found out about Sailor Moon and I eventually got to actually meet Ogata Megumi-san and she touched me twice. Oh. And, uh, and I've never watched them before, again. Um, like, that's I have that's a why you're losing your voice. On, I have yeah. a picture of me on this on my computer where I'm like, they're looking like shell shocked that she's got me in my arm. I'm like, and so I've been a fan ever since, which I think was one of your questions. When did you know you were a fan when Ogata Megumi san said, hey, as Haruka <laughs> and Sailor Moon? All, it was what, 98? 97, 98, and I was like, right over the cliff. Wow. Yeah. Um, what's our podcast called? <laughs> our podcast, of course, is called Phantopological. All the episodes can be found at Phantopological.com, as well as in your favorite podcatcher. Uh, please uh, medium, rate, review, and subscribe uh, to our podcast, and uh, let people know about us. I will certainly let people know about you. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. This is Phantopological, but we three are the Knicks cast. Uh, you can find us all over the internet at the Knicks cast. Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. Oh, yes. Brand new. Um, very soon, we're going to have a shop open where you can buy our lovely t-shirts. Cool. Which is shop.thenextcast.com. Yeah, it's easy. It's everything at the Knicks cast. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure we have the monopoly on the internet of uh, yeah. Knicks cast related stuff. Excellent. Yes. In addition to all the other stuff that we do, as is the case for the past four years, or I guess this is the fourth year that we are doing this, we also do an event called the Race Against Time, which is our annual charity marathon where we play through a game, which happens to be Chrono Trigger every time we've done it, uh, <laughs> because it's the best game ever. No. I know we talked about contentious issues in fandom, but uh, if you don't agree, you can fight me. Right. That's that's how this works. <laughs> But we do this to raise money for the Alzheimer's Society of Canada because like in the game where you're trying to change a future that might never personally happen to you, we are trying to raise money for Alzheimer's, which again may not affect you, but does affect people every day. It robs them of their memories and it robs them of who they are as an individual. If you want to take a look at that, you can go to raceagainsttime.io slash donate. That'll take you to the donation page and you can donate directly to the Alzheimer's Society of Canada. You can also go to raceagainsttime.io or twitch.tv slash raceagainsttime. Both of those will take you to our Twitch page where you can follow us. And then when we play, you will be notified. The event is on August 11th and 12th. But every week up until the event, we are playing through a different time-related game to get into the the spirit of the event. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Can I give a quick plug to myself? Oh, sorry. Yes, absolutely. Please do. You have several. Sorry, so you can find me obsessively on okazu.yurikon.com. I recommend going to yurikon.com to read all our essays and scholarship. Okazu is where we do reviews, interviews, we post podcasts. I do a weekly news report of Yuri News from the Global Yuri Network. And I now do a, like a five-minute, quick, two-point podcast thing at the end of every week, which I've done a whole twice so far. 
And then I went on vacation again, and I'm going on vacation again, so you might not get it for another few weeks, but, but the intention is real. So you can find me on okazu.yuricon.com. You can find me on Twitter, also pretty much 24-7, Okazu Yuri. You can find me Facebook. Uh, it's um, Yurikon ALC on Facebook, where we have a very nice community of people who are very polite and very enthusiastic and friendly and like pictures, but not gross ones, like cute fan pictures. And you can find me not with Instagram or any of those because I don't do pictures. Um, where else can you find me? Patreon. And Google, uh, and Patreon, right? I have Okaza Patreon, and I really um thank you very much nick uh i really appreciate um any contribution to make there this where you're supporting us doing our yuri news our yuri interviews we pay our guest reviewers and writers which i am so excited about because that was a 2018 thing we finally after 15 years are able to pay our guests so please contribute there and contribute to the well-being of actual writers mm-hmm. And, you know, please chat with me because I like to uh, talk about this stuff. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you. And thank you guys for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you for coming on. I know I'm a little overwhelming, but I just have like, (laughs) I literally am holding in my head a hundred years of information. (laughs) When people ask me questions, I go, wait, let me start a hundred years ago. (laughs) (laughs) And I do it over and over. Like, no, wait, 1921. (laughs) (laughs) Now you can ask us or rather future us a question because next week we'll be doing another guest episode with justice r stone who is a reviewer of light novels and that means next cool. week's fandom will be light novels and so you and all the other next and every, anybody in the chat who wants to ask can ask or say something as their famous last words which we will have to look into for next week that's an awesome thing i love light novels but i don't read any of the translated ones i have a big shelf up above me here that's nothing but light novels hmm. so i guess what i want to say is what do you think are the qualities of light novels as a genre that makes them so popular, so interesting to you as a reader and reviewer and writer about light novels? I'll give everybody else a little bit of time to think about their question. Mine is going to be, why have they suddenly become so popular in North America? Um, this one is like pretty simple on its face, but I'm hoping it'll generate like some kind of interesting discussion. Why light like, why are they called light novels? Right, see. I'm wondering if there is a uh, a magic ratio, if you will, of pictures to text that has to be kept within for it to be considered a light novel. Setting aside, you know, whatever else might make it a light novel. That's a good question. Like, man, can I, you... I think you with, won. With... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, there's there's no winning or losing in the game of fandom it's just whoever's right that's how you play (laughs) whoever's right (laughs) those those are some famous last words i was gonna say that's quite (laughs) worse wow oh my goodness uh uh, that that's it for this week's episode super Mm -hmm. thank you again very much for joining us erica thank you very much for having me it was an absolute blast and as we established pre-show we can all be friends, so anytime you want to chat, mm-hmm. let me know. <laughs> oh, well, here's a nice thing to end the show on. You're going on vacation, but what's the next con you're going to be at? 
probably, and this is unusual, probably New York Comic Con. I'm hoping to oh, wow. cover it as press. I've got a friend coming in from the West Coast who wants to go, so we're going to be going together. And she's big into cosplay, and I'm not, but I like watching her cosplay. And uh, and so we'll be wandering. I'll be wandering around the halls of Javits one more time. <laughs> um, and then, depending on how things work, I may end up in Anime NYC, which was a pretty decent con last year. And then I don't know what I'm doing. I'm hoping to get back to Japan, maybe in November for Komitia, which is my favorite Japanese comic show. Komikit's the really big one. Everybody knows mm-hmm. Komikit, but Komitia is it's a big site also. It's the same kind of thing, but it's only original work. Oh. So there's okay. no no parody work. Not to say that there is not parody work. It's just that you're supposed to be selling original work there. And that's what I like best. I like original Dojinshi because I really feel like you can you get to see the talent in art and writing, or lack thereof. Cool. Right. Tell anybody listening, if you happen to be in anime NYC or at New York Comic Con, maybe you'll run into Erica. Yeah, and I'll probably have a shirt that says something very clever like, I love Yuri, so you can find me. <laughs> <laughs> What's that thing that we say, G? Oh. What's great about this show is we both begin and end the podcast with me saying the stupidest <laughs> thing possible. <laughs> Great. In front of all the cool guests we have. But until next time, we'll see you next time. (laughs) Bye, everybody. about this z said a weird creepy thing at the beginning of the episode and i never found oh, out we never back to it i mean we did talk oh yeah there's like you said you had a like a word for people who who stand outside the girls schools looking in oh or... yeah 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 so so i call it the the, the whole phenomenon is called parting the gauze curtain mm-hmm. it's this idea it's sort of like like soft core sorority sisters porn you know, it's like how guys think that women all like lounge around in their lingerie, yeah. bonbons, and have sex. You know, <laughs> and it's never real sex. It's like rubbing sex. You know, it's just, like it's all like pink movies. You know, and and so it's this idea like we're gonna part the gauze curtain and see how women really live. <laughs> and of course, there's nothing, nothing real about it. There's a there was a manga which is sadly out of print called Joshi Kosei Girls High School or High School Girls. That was brilliant in taking down the grotesqueness of a bunch of girls together and just like, you know, like, does anybody have a tampon? I'm on my period, like that kind of thing where it's like, you know, you just, you, you do, you do. I'm sorry, guys. We have conversations about blood clumping. It is a thing and it's not gross. It's just, we have to have it because we're having a week or a month. Um, mm-hmm. The bottom line is that, that there's that, that sort of thing where it's like, oh, girls, when they're alone in this place, so I call it <laughs> parting the gauze curtain. Okay.
Cool. Yeah. All right. You. All right. This one. This one. Um, this one will both make you groan and uh, age me fairly accurately. The mic is so, unmuted. You are alive. Hello. Hello, Internet. Strong enough for men, but made for women. Today, we're talking about Yuri fans. Oh, that's a groaner. That, yes. <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty funny. Thanks. <laughs> God, men, you just do not do women well. You're like, look at this clever thing I said. It's like, oh, God. Hi. Hi. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Phantophilogical.